0: Welcome to another episode of Up To. Nine years ago, Up To started as a live event series showcasing leaders who are as humble as they are successful. The humility piece is extremely important as we identify leaders who can inspire others. We try to focus our interviews on the non-business aspects of their lives. And in doing so, we have found there's a real thirst to explore their hearts and minds in atypical ways. Our host, as always, is Adam Kaufman. And on this episode, we are joined by Andre Pienaar. Thanks for joining us. We'll be right back.
1: During the first season of the Up To podcast, I had several companies and entrepreneurs approach me about potential partnerships, but I'm really selective before choosing to do something like that. One choice we did make, happily, is to partner with Vivid Front, a full-service digital marketing and website design agency based in Cleveland that works with both local and national brands. They've built their entire client base on referrals and they've won a lot of awards, including the 2019 Inc Magazine, Top 5,000 Fastest Growing Companies, North Coast's Top Places to Work, and several others. They're known for their talent, they're known for their creativity, they're known for their culture, a firm I liked before we agreed to partner together for the show check out vividfront.com or you can email me and I'll introduce you to their dynamic leader, Andrew Spott.
0: Welcome back. You are listening to the Up To podcast with host Adam Kaufman. Today's guest is Andre Pienaar.
1: Our guest today is the chief executive and the founder of C5, a specialist venture capital firm that invests in cybersecurity, space, and nuclear energy with offices in Washington, D.C., London, and Luxembourg. He serves on the boards of IronNet Cybersecurity, listed on the New York Stock Exchange, Blue Voyant here in the U.S., Reduxio and Penelope in Israel, and the Haven Group in Luxembourg, as well as the ITC Secure in London. A lot going on there. Considered a global leader in cybersecurity and intelligence, our guest has been called, quote, a CIA operative, unquote, by his political opponents and a, quote, conniving intelligence operator, unquote, which makes me smile when I read his quoting a former U.S. President FDR. Our guest said, don't judge me by my friends, judge me by my enemies. I love that. As the leader of C-5, he has been able to attract quite an accomplished group of stars to join his team, including the longtime president of Blue Origin, Jeff Bezos' a space company, and even a former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He really must be doing something well to attract those types of rock stars. Our guest started his career at Kroll in 1996, where he became the youngest Managing Director, so he was very accomplished early on, no surprise. He then founded an international consulting firm that advised global companies and international law firms on cybersecurity, selling that firm at a sizable exit in 2011, that firm. Our guest is also charitable, and he volunteers a lot of his time and expertise. He serves on the Advisory Council of the U.S. Institute for Peace, He's a member of the Atlanta Council Task Force on Critical Infrastructure and Cybersecurity. And he set up, I really like this, the Cyber Alliance to Defend Our Healthcare, a voluntary coalition of 36 cybersecurity companies to protect the healthcare sector from cyber attacks during global pandemics. He is a director of International Center for Missing and Exploited Children and the Limitless Space Institute which is a nonprofit focusing, I believe, on technology and students. Educated as a lawyer and an expert on cyber law and cyber crime, he holds two degrees in law and a master's degree in strategic studies from the University of Wales. Wow. He and his wife live in our nation's capital. I I say live with a grimace because they're always traveling, Um, but he and his wife are truly among DC's most influential couples. Andre Pinar, welcome to Up To.
2: Adam, thank you very much for having me. It's great to be on this podcast series, which I've been following with great interest for a long period of time, and I've had so many of my friends come and have conversations with you, and it's just great to be part of it.
1: Well, it's a thrill to have you here. We had the date circled on the calendar for a while because you're so busy and love that you're with us today in studio. So tell me, what have you been up to?
2: Well, we... um, we are currently very focused on the success of our range of portfolio companies across the three domains that you, that you sketched out, cybersecurity, space, and nuclear. And at first glance, they, this may seem to be disparate, but these three domains are actually overlapping and, and highly integrated. Many years ago, before the Internet existed, as, as we know it, um, one of the predecessors to the Internet was something called DARPAnet, which came out of DARPA. Um, What's uh, DARPA? DARPA is a leading government agency for, um, that leads national security and defense innovation.
1: U.S. defense?
2: Yeah, U.S. defense, exactly
1: mm-hmm. right. I, I clarify because you're such an international person, so DARPA is a United States yeah. defense department D- D- DARPA
2: program. DARPA is, um, is, is probably the leading defense and security innovation organization in the world, and DARPA created the predecessor to the Internet, which was called DARPAnet, and one of the founders of DARPAnet uh, wrote this memo as he, as DARPAnet was being conceived, the first time that computers were networked for communication purposes and for secure communication purposes at the time. and he wrote this amazing memo and he called it the Intergalactic computer Network. Hmm. This was in the 1960s and he had slightly had his tongue in the cheek when he called it the intergalactic computer Network. But at the same time there was a vision behind it. and that vision is being realized today because the digital infrastructure, that underpins the Internet today and our digital world is increasingly being moved from a terrestrial basis into low Earth orbit space. And Starlink um, space access um, infrastructure for bro- for global gro- broadband communications is a very good example of that. But long before Starlink, the U.S. government in one of its great acts of um, altruism at the end of the last century created GPS and made that. Um, globally available to everyone, mm-hmm. to enable humans, for the first time in human, human civilization, every one of us to have access to accurate time, accurate location, and accurate navigation.
1: It's hard to imagine how we all existed and survived or picked somebody up from the airport without or GPS found, or and fa- smartphones. We
2: found a way in our car right. and, um, and, um, and, and, and being able to navigate safely to our location and knowing precisely when we arrive. And, 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 and knowing that we're gonna have a safe, safe journey and arrive at the right place. And so, so much of, of daily life today is completely dependent on the infrastructure that we have in space. And this infrastructure, of course, has to be secured. And the only way to do that is through cybersecurity. So mm-hmm. increasingly cybersecurity applications are either space-based or terrestrial cybersecurity applications have to take into consideration um, new infrastructure that gets launched into space. And then, of course, at the same time, we've got to ener- energize. We've got to provide energy for this infrastructure. Takes power, yeah. And in space, there are only two sources of energy. F- f- fortunately, both of them are, are fossil-free: solar energy and nuclear. And so, the three domains that we invest in are very closely integrated. And as we, as we develop the, the space-terrestrial economy further, um, they will become even more closely integrated. So, okay. what may seem like three very disparate investment strategies is actually an investment into one domain and that aligns with C5's mission, which is to help secure the future.
1: You described the uh, connectedness of those three aspects of your investment thesis well, uh, energy, uh, cybersecurity, space. What is C5 exactly? I, I tell people it's, tell me if I'm wrong, it's where government and commerce intersect in Private capital, but obviously you could describe it much better than me.
2: Well, our, our bread and butter is venture capital, or as we sometimes like to call it, mission capital. Because, mission capital, because we are investing. We are investing behind the innovation of of core and and key missions uh, in the national security space, and um, increasingly, national security permeates every aspect of life. Um, everything is interlinked. And um, to have an effective national security in the U.S. and in the United Kingdom and, and across our allies, we need st- very strong public-private partnerships. And we need government and the private sector to work very closely together on the key issues and the key challenges of national security. Mm-hmm. And that's the intersection in which C5 invests and that our portfolio companies work working. And you, um, in the very generous and kind in- introduction you gave me, um, cited one of those key areas infrastructure security and energy infrastructure security and that's a very good example where you need government and the private sector to work very closely together to make sure that our mm-hmm. energy infrastructure is secure and that our nation is, is secure in knowing that it's got access to, to energy and, and power for, for our business and our economy particularly as we grow and, um, and scale the economy globally.
1: How do you attract such stellar members of your team it's particularly noteworthy when you have the chairman of the joint chiefs of staff or convincing someone who's been the leader of blue origin to join your team there, with all due respect there's lots of private equity and venture firms but i mean there's something special going on at c5 for people like that to join you what's what's your secret
2: Adam? i think it's because beyond mission capitalists i think um, high-quality leaders um, are attracted by the mission and believe in the mission. And Many people who served in government want to continue the mission um, after they've stepped down from their government work and their leadership role in government. And um, today that's possible because of the public-private partnerships that we are building around national security. And then venture capital, mission capital. Um,
1: I really is, like that phrase, mission capital. I just wrote that down. Excuse me. I'm going to use I'm that.
2: G- I'm glad you like that phrase. Oh, yeah. um, I've
1: never heard it before.
2: One of the people I read very, very, um, very regularly is General Hal Moore, who commanded the first battle in, in Vietnam. Um, there's a wonderful film about him, Once We Were Soldiers and Young, in which Hal Moore gets played by, by Mel Gibson. Mm-hmm. But he was, um, he was one, of, w- one of the great American um, battlefield commanders. And Hal Moore says, uh, leaders help to create the future. And in Mission Capital, we help to create the future. And we take the initiative to create the future that our nations deserve and that our nations need and want. Um, We create the initiative to help secure the future. Mm -hmm. And that's why we are able to attract world-class leaders to work with us. Um, It's because of the mission, because of our sense of purpose, and because of our resilience. And as you quite rightly say, we're a small venture capital firm.
1: I didn't say you were small. I'm saying how impressive you are.
2: <laughs> yeah, but we are, we are comparatively small when it comes to assets under management. Uh, we're a new kid on the block. Um, but it's really our strong sense of mission and purpose that have attracted world-class leaders to work with us.
1: This is the humble part of you coming out here because in addition to the mission, I think it's probably you as well attracting these types of people. You mentioned how more... Are there other leaders that you try to learn from, whether it's people you've worked with or, like, how more people you've read about? How have you developed your own leadership style?
2: Well, um, both um, both doing international business and being involved in national security, both of those um, endeavors are humbling experiences. I bet. they They're humbling because of the in the national security space because of the sacrifice that you see um, people make for the security and safety of of the U.S., for the United Kingdom, for our allies. Mm -hmm. Um, They're humbling because of the commitment and the energy that you see folks in government bring to their job and their mission on a daily basis. But they're also humbling because from time to time things go wrong, and human intelligence is based on learning from our mistakes. I think one of the great strengths of America is that America learns from its mistakes. America's always had a leadership, uh, whether it's in the White House or in Congress uh, or across the the federal government agencies that have been able to take risks, but also at the same time to learn from mistakes. Mm -hmm. And that equally applies to business because entrepreneurships and successful entrepreneurs are all about learning from, from your mistakes. And so if you're involved in either national security or business or both, as we are, um, it, it's a humbling experience because of...
1: You uh, see them yeah, in action, Yeah, right. you see other people making... And you're in the private sector. You're yeah, not exactly, active duty, military. Exactly, or, right.
2: to- t- totally. Um, so, so, so you can't be in involved in these two areas of endeavor without being, being h- humble about um, the challenges and, and how you go about them. But at the same time, I think humility is a great strength Um, because it opens you up to learning, and it opens you up to learning from your mistakes.
1: Absolutely. I jumped in there about the active duty because I had on this program a few months ago the youngest two-star general in the Air Force, Major General Laura Lenderman, and she had 80,000 people under her command when I was interviewing her. That's incredible. You know, I feel pretty good about myself. I have nobody <laughs> under my command.
2: I have nobody under my command either. Can I, you I'm mostly Im- on other people's command.
1: So it was so humbling, like you just said, to see how she, in her words, leads through love, even though they got the chain of command and those people have to do whatever That's she says. That's very
2: unusual to hear a, a, a military officer speak about leading through love. Leading That's,
1: through love. Yeah. It was so... But
2: I can see that because I think so many um, officers care about their people and care about the families that they serve with and um, I can see that in leaders like um, um, General Mattis who's so dedicated to um, to Gold Star families and Mm -hmm. to the care of Gold Star families and have such a deep sense of the sacrifice that Gold Star families have made. Um,
1: Now you were friends with General Mattis I think even before he was Secretary of Defense. right? Well
2: General, General, General Mattis cares about America's allies and as a result, he worked very closely with um, with the Duke of Westminster who innovated the care and rehabilitation of military veterans for the United Kingdom mm. by establishing a new uh, veteran care center called the Defense and National Rehabilitation Center. So during that time, I had the privilege of working with, um, with General Mattis and saw how much he cared about veterans and veteran families firsthand. And to your point, Adam, I think one of the most rewarding things about my career has been the opportunity to work with great leaders like that whether it's general Mattis or the duke of westminster or earlier in my career with with nelson mandela seeing um really transformative leaders in action mm-hmm. um who have made enormous personal sacrifice for the leadership in the case of mandela spending more than tw- 27 years in in, in prison and mm. detention um and yet despite those sacrifices and those challenges, working to bring about positive change I think is one of the most uplifting and rewarding things in my career, and, and I think in life in general. And I think we're at a time in the world where we need more leaders who are working for positive change, mm-hmm. who are working towards moving our countries and our, our nations and our, our communities forward. And everyone has the ability to be a leader. I think you can practice leadership at all levels.
1: That's interesting. Let me interrupt. So you think leadership can be learned. Everyone can be a leader, you just said. I don't hear that too often. I maybe would have thought that leaders have these innate skills or character traits that they're born with, but you think that could actually be taught or, or a learned skill.
2: Well, some as you as you rightly say some people are naturally naturally exceptional leaders. They just have Leadership talents that they develop, um, that they can develop and build on, um, and they just have a natural flair for it. But at its core, leadership is influence, and all of us have influence around, um, on the people around. Some us. group
1: of stakeholders, yeah. yeah.
2: All of us have influence, whether it's in our family or with our loved ones, with our friends, on our street, in our community, in our mm-hmm, building. Mm-hmm. All of us have some measure of influence, and the question is, can we bring our influence to bear for good, and to bring about positive change, and to build up others, um, and and um, and and practice positive leadership on a daily basis, and and take ownership of that opportunity to mm. be a leader. And Accountability. So be- yeah, so I believe all of us are leaders, and in C5 we talk about leadership at all levels, um, whether you're an analyst whether you're an executive's assistant, whether you work in our finance team, whether you're an investment professional, whether you're a presenters on a board, you're a leader. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's very important that we use our influence uh, for good and for positive change.
1: Let's go backwards a little bit. You mentioned the Duke of Westminster a minute ago, and you are truly, you wouldn't say this, but you're, uh, an, I'll say, a national expert, maybe even a global expert on intelligence, more broadly, and then specifically, um, cyber intelligence now. What 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 led to that expertise? Was it your time working in the UK? How did you develop this expertise and information, and and why do some call you a rogue CIA operative?
2: Yeah, well, so, so uh, um, just for the record, I'm I, I'm not representing the CIA, and the CIA is a great institution and a great force for good in the world, and I've had the privilege of um, of of knowing. Um, some highly accomplished CIA officers, but myself, I've never had an affiliation with. Yeah, the CIA. I, I know,
1: I know you don't. It was just a funny. Somebody wrote about that with you. I'm sure you saw it recently yeah, regarding so, South Africa. Yeah, so one Africa. of the things
2: I did in my career was to um, to help investigate um, uh, grand corruption, and this came about because of my role in Kroll Associates uh, when I was a, a young a managing director in Kroll Associates. Um, I had the most extraordinary assignment. Um, Nelson Mandela, just after he got elected as South Africa's first democratically elected president, asked me to, um, to help prepare the, the new democracy in South Africa to deal with organized crime and corruption. And as a result of that, we established a, a new standalone law enforcement unit, which was called the Scorpions, um, or formerly, more formally, the Directorate of Special Operations. And we had tremendous support from both the US and the UK governments for this initiative as part of their support for a democratic um, South Africa. And so one of the things that the Scorpions did was they investigated um, some very tough corruption cases. And if you investigate corruption on a, on, a, on a national and an international scale, as the Scorpions did, you always have people coming after you and um, throwing all kinds of mud against uh,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
2: corruption investigators. And in that context, some people Labeled me as a CIA operative, but the truth of it was we were just going after. Um, we were just going after. Putting some, some
1: sunshine. We were just going some after
2: s- some really bad guys who were yeah. doing bad things to good people. Yeah. Um, and uh, I have tremendous um, admiration and respect for for law enforcement agencies, law enforcement officials who are investigating corruption here in the U.S. Um, at all levels, and um, the. The, the FBI, the Drug Enforcement Agency, um, state and local law enforcement, play a crucial role in combating organized crime mm-hmm. and, and make tremendous sacrifices in combating organized crime. Um, and in, uh, during the course of my professional career, we've really seen organized crime scale and grow, mm. in part because we have more disf- dysfunctionality and challenge in the international community, so a lot of law enforcement cooperation that we took for granted some years ago don't happen as easily today as it did. And secondly, the international narcotics trade have really financed the growth of organized crime. Hmm. And so today, as the as the DA administrator recently said, uh, we have um, Mexican crime cartels who are bringing um, um, fake medicine fake pills into the US laced with fentanyl that they source out of China. Mm. And that's really at a kind of a national security threat level. So I've got enormous admiration for the very brave law enforcement officers who are helping to keep our countries, our nations, our communities safe by combating organized crime. And there's a heavy toll. There's a heavy price to pay for that kind of work. It takes a toll on you personally, Mm. mentally. We often talk about um, combat stress. That's another level of stress that our law enforcement officers have to suffer very similar to PTSD it takes a toll on their families
1: and of course how about you how re- has reputationally,
2: it reputation it can also take a toll on you because folks come bad guys come after you with all sorts of allegations and sometimes sometimes with the best law firms sometimes with the best PR people and sometimes even with other investigators
1: how about with you how have you dealt with the inevitable stress pursuing those things over the years do you think you've dealt with it well or you mentioned we all learn from mistakes how have you dealt with the inevitable stress
2: well I've, I've always had the privilege of working with with good people and if you are part of a community of really great people um, that is a, that that is one of the best forms of support so when we put together the scorpions for Nelson Mandela I had um, I had Tom cash who's one of the most legendary um, Drug Enforcement Agency officers working with us. He was the guy that arrested General Noriega in Panama. Mm. I had Walt Mangiacotti, who led all of the FBI's investigations into Italian organized crime. I had Norb Garrett, who was the um, director of the Near East for the CIA until his retirement. Anthony Raul was one of the leading MI6 officers, one of the most experienced MI6 officers in Africa. And, and Mandela was delighted that we were able to convene professionals of this stature because he wanted the new democracy to have the benefit of the best leaders um, in law enforcement and in combating organized crime. And so surrounding yourself with good people is a is a great way to deal with, with the stress and the challenges of this. Mm-hmm. And then I think another very important component is are your loved ones and your family. Today I, I have the of the benefit of, of, a, of a beautiful wife who loves me unconditionally mm. and who supports me in, in all my endeavors. and A blessing. And the love and affection of my, my children and, and my and my family. And then your faith. Um, my faith is very important to me um, and motivates me and, and keeps me going.
1: Well, thanks for sharing that since you brought it up. what What is your faith? Are you Catholic or what is your particular faith?
2: Well, I'm a Christian. Christian a, a denomination doesn't matter that much to me. Got it. Um, but I, I've been brought up in a in a Christian household, and um, I believe in 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 um, in the tenets of the Christian faith.
1: Frankly, I, I'm, and I'm with you. I don't know how people go through stress in life without faith, whatever version they have. I don't know how, without those pillars of optimism and forgiveness and otherwise do people go through the challenges that inevitably we all face and the curves well, in the road we have to navigate
2: one of the um, general Mattis always makes this point he says that uh, as a leader you can never gain sufficient experience to enable you to deal with all the challenges you face in your leadership. It's impossible. And so he says the only way in which a leader can expand his framework of reference for deci- for leadership decision-making is by reading. Mm-hmm. And so one of my favorite authors um, and thinkers that I read is Viktor Frankl. Oh, gosh, um, a
1: man's search for meaning.
2: Yeah, exactly right. And, um, and Viktor Frankl has developed this uh, philosophy of logotherapy, which is um, nothing gives a human more strength and more energy than having a purpose
1: purpose and meaning yep. and
2: so um, I have a very strong purpose and meaning and in C5 as a business we have very strong purpose and meaning and that's why we call ourselves mission capitalists
1: well to bring all of this full circle I know you because of our mutual friends Carol and Jody
2: two amazing amazing leaders two amazing um, uh, women, and two amazing role models
1: and I know Carol and Jody in a group called Path North that we're involved in, which whole purpose is about meaning, bringing more meaning and authenticity to the leadership class. So we talk about Viktor Frankl quite a bit. So awesome wiring. I didn't know we shared that appreciation, you and I. That's awesome that you said that just now. I wanna uh, take a more broad kind of um, moment here to ask about your focus on the United States right now you've clearly uh... lived in other places you're on the boards of companies in multiple countries you've now settled in washington dc here in the u.s. why, why america what do you love about the united states well the
2: u.s. is um... the u.s. Um, remains a, a, a beacon of freedom um, i think for the whole world and i think the the u.s. is the leader in in technology innovation globally and so um, Supporting and protecting U.S. leadership is absolutely critically important to the free world and to um, to all the democracies internationally. And of course, the United Kingdom has been a long-standing ally of the U.S. Mm-hmm. And every generation has a responsibility to renew alliances. This is something that the Duke of Westminster always emphasised to me: is that you can't take. Alliances and a special alliance like the one between the U.S. and the U.K. for granted. Every generation has to take responsibility for the stewardship of that alliance. Mm-hmm. And by supporting the U.S., um, I feel that I'm t- making my contribution to renewing, and innovating, and 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 building this great alliance between two great democracies for the future.
1: You remind me of many of my Lebanese friends, who love America more even than those of us who are born in the United States. I don't know if it's because a lot of Americans take these wonderful attributes for granted that you just described or what, but I love how passionate you are about this country having um, not been born here. Are you a U.S. citizen? No, I'm not a U.S. citizen. I'm married to a U.S. citizen. Mm -hmm. I'm a a British citizen. Okay. But I think if
2: you've, during the course of my career, especially my early career, um, before I I started in investing in venture capital. Um, I've I've worked all over the world, um, and in and in many tough situations. Um, I've seen the Great War in Africa, in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. I've seen the conflict in the Sudan.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I see the conf- I saw the conflict in Angola. I saw all of those conflicts firsthand. Um, and then I've had exposure to the machinations of some of the most authoritarian countries in the world. I think when you've had those experiences, you begin to treasure freedom. For sure. And you begin to treasure democracy. And um, the, f- the scale and extent of freedom and democracy um, that folks have in the U.S. Um, is just unprecedented. General Mattis calls it the great experiment. Well, it's one of the greatest experiments of, um, of our recent times. And the success of this experiment is of huge importance to mm-hmm. everyone globally.
1: And in addition to the freedom and liberty here in the United States, the capitalism and the free markets is another aspect of, I think, the American experience. It's a trend right now to kind of t- talk about the ills of capitalism, which still surprises me, but I don't know if.
2: Well, I have, I have the in enough enough um, venture capital firm. We have the privilege of partnering with really visionary and charismatic and dynamic founders uh, of, of great businesses mm-hmm. and we so often see the American dream. Um, let me give you one example. Uh, Dr. Kam Ghaffarian, who's based here in Maryland, um, came to this country as a, as a young Iranian student. This was before the Iranian Revolution. Whilst he was studying in the U.S., the revolution took place and he stayed behind in the U.S. and he funded his studies by, by parking cars in downtown Washington, D.C., and he has some very funny stories. That's a lot of cars, funding (laughs) studies. (laughs) Yeah, he has some very funny stories about his experience doing that. But he's gone on to build some of the greatest um, and most exciting space companies um, in the U.S. today, companies like Intuitive Machines that will be doing the first private moon landing next year in partnership with NASA, Hmm. Axiom Space um, that has an exclusive partnership with NASA to one of the gates on the, inter- on the International Space Station that are taking the first private astronauts to live and work on the space station um, in February of next year and that will be building the successor to the International Space Station. Wow. So here you have someone who's come to this country with nothing except a dream and a vision and who's been enabled to succeed. And when you see real-life stories like that and you see the transformative impact of founders like that, you can't help but to believe in the American dream.
1: I agree. That's why I love venture capital as well. something you and I have in common. I love being around the entrepreneurs and how they solve problems or identify market opportunities that I didn't even know existed. And then they just
0: put their head down and they go for it. It's just very inspiring. You're listening to the Up To Podcast. We'll be right back.
1: I'm grateful that Calfee, Halter & Griswold has agreed to once again partner with us with offices in Ohio and Washington, D.C., This full-service national law firm focuses on all aspects of business and the law, including corporate and finance, intellectual property, and government relations. Let me be clear. I actually approach companies with whom I would like to partner. We don't just accept marketing dollars from anyone who wants to be a partner. I've been referring my CEO and entrepreneur friends to Calfee for years. I believe in them. One of their notable practice areas is in mergers and acquisitions. Recently, I introduced a successful entrepreneur in the Midwest to Calfee as a European-based conglomerate wanted to buy his business. Calfee works with large corporations as well as privately held companies throughout the U.S., Canada, Europe, and Asia. So whether it's selling your own business or the more routine needs of creating your first will or anything in between, this firm can really do it all in terms of legal needs. Once again, the firm is Calfee, Halter & Griswold, and you can find them at calfee.com or on the Up To Foundation website.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to the Up To Podcast. Today's guest is Andre Pienaar.
1: Andre, your, your background to me, I know it personally. It's so interesting. I've learned from one of my mentors, Doug Holiday, the, the Path North founder, that we're all born into somebody else's story. We can't really choose our parents, obviously. What type of family were you born into? Like, was it obvious you'd be this international, global expert in investing in internet security, et cetera? Or were there different paths you could have taken? You know, what type of family goals existed in your household?
2: well my 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 uh, my papa was a uh, um, is a pastor at the church okay um, and and my mama was an entrepreneur
1: um, hmm. so that's an interesting combo father pastor mother entrepreneur my father-in-law was a priest
2: yeah so um, the greatest blessing I had in my life is I got born into a loving family and i I've had the benefit of my parents unconditional love and support and I think in love, spite of
1: all your failures.
2: Uh, despite of all my failures. <laughs> and boy, did they have to put up with a lot. <laughs>
1: um,
2: but I think the love we give our children is one of the great energy forces in the world for good. And and the more we can love our children and the more we can support our children, um, the more we raise the odds on their resilience and success in later life. And certainly the love of my parents have been one of the most enduring forces and sources of energy and motivation in my own life.
1: So did the path that you took become clear early on or did you consider other lines of work did you consider following in your following in your yes, father's I did. footsteps I, I,
2: I considered becoming a priest and some people may say i'm still trying to be a priest mm-hmm. um, uh, so i certainly thought about um,
1: um, s- serving in the church um, well you don't do too many things right now so maybe we can just add that to the portfolio yeah. of response. Can you start running a church as well in D.C. maybe? Yeah. We need another church, Todd, don't we? Yeah.
2: That's probably the last thing you need. No.
1: Um,
2: so I did, I did, look, I did as, a, as a kid, I thought about, um, of course, I studied to be, to be a lawyer, and um, for a long time I wanted to be a litigation lawyer. Um, hmm. But one thing sort of led to another, and I think one of the most transformative things that happened to me is that at the age of 12, uh, my mama bought me a computer and um, an old Radio Shack computer in which you did still the basic programming and the basic computer language. Mm-hmm. And you did those sort of funny stick men. Um, uh,
1: I remember that. You and I are the same age, so I definitely remember that. Programs. Yep. And then,
2: th- then there was the, the Commodore that you plugged into your into your television.
1: Commodore 64.
2: Exactly, the Commodore 64. And so...
1: I don't know what 64 stood for. Maybe...
2: 64K. Rams or 64K, something. yeah. yeah. So I think that was one of the transformative moments. But K what? Well, uh, that was. That what does was, that even
1: mean? 64K.
2: That was the RAM.
1: The RAM. So okay, so yeah, I was you right. You were
2: right. Oh good. And okay. then of course Atari. I, I, I often speak. To, I often hear mums really worry about their kids playing video games. Right. And I always console them and say, listen, don't worry about this because video games is one of the best introductions for your kids yeah. to the world of technology and innovation.
1: Space Invaders. Space Frogger. Space Invaders exactly,
2: yeah. and Pac Man. Mm. And, and all those terrific games we played, but it's really through, um, through um, computer games. The use of and, computers, yeah. That, that you get more into technology and virtual reality, and so when your kid is playing video games, mama, don't worry about that. It's, it augurs well for the future. It's the beginning of a great career in technology.
1: I think you're right. One of the things you're working on right now that I absolutely love because of my own background calling on hospitals is your nonprofit to try to help hospitals fight the ransomware attacks that are going on right now. I'm not even sure if a lot of people know about this unless once in a while they read about a headline or something in a, in a newspaper, but uh, why did you start this? What compelled you to, to work on this with some of your free this time? This is something
2: that we had to launch during, during the onset of COVID-19. Um, my, my cousin is a nurse in a hospital in London, um, and she and her husband both work in this hospital, and both of them approached me to help them make their walls, to be the exact of their walls, because the National Health Service in the UK required frontline medical care workers to make their walls. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I learned that the hospital where they were working were under a cyber attack. And this really brought home to me the the tremendous pressure our healthcare workers, our frontline healthcare workers are under, and hospitals who we totally rely on to help people during this terrible pandemic. Of course. and. Um, It wasn't immediately apparent where the help was going to come from for this hospital with the cyber attack that was taking place, so we volunteered to help. And since then, we've had so many hospitals, big and small ones, call on us for for help because we've seen this terrible increase in ransomware attacks. The FBI estimate up to 4,000 percent increase in ransomware attacks Mm. on hospitals, and not just the hospitals but the healthcare workers.
1: Are they always the same bad actors or are they different criminals? Are they easy targets? Maybe why? Like why? Why the, why the four thousand percent increase?
2: Well, um, I think unfortunately the pandemic has has um, has led some very bad people to believe that they can make money from it, that mm. they can exploit other people's misery. And so what they were doing was they were doing ransomware attacks on intensive care units, locking down, locking down the oxygen machines and demanding exorbitant
1: what could be worse ransoms My be
2: paid in cryptocurrency. And the U.S. Treasury has recently come out with an estimate that about five billion dollars of cryptocurrency uh, transactions relate to directly to these ransomware attacks. Um, and so we see a combination of organized crime syndicates and some um, very bad nation states partnering in um, in launching these ransomware attacks uh, during COVID-19. And it's a it's an ongoing problem. And mm. unfortunately, the healthcare sector has been traditionally underinvested in cybersecurity.
1: Not uh, surprising. Yeah, not they surprising. They got other things to worry about. Exactly,
2: but also a hospital today is, is such a big attack surface. It's not just the IT infrastructure. It's all the healthcare workers with their own devices. It's all the medical devices mm. that are um, in operation inside the hospital, and of course, it's the hospital's administration to admit um, patients. And we've seen a number of cases where we've been able to, law enforcement agencies have been able to directly track these ransomware attacks to the death of patients. So we, here we have real examples of ransomware attacks that turns into, mm. in, in, into murder and um, yeah. in, into the – Unnecessary death. – the culpable killing of, um, of, of vulnerable and innocent humans. And as I've said before on the public record, under normal circumstances, this would be war crimes. Um, Under the Geneva Convention, attacking healthcare workers, bombing hospitals, those are all all war war crimes, and these ransomware attacks during COVID-19 on hospitals, medical workers, vulnerable patients should also be treated as war crimes and should be dealt with with the full force of the law and i think the us government is beginning to do that
1: so what types of help are you providing in this nonprofit is it the so we've, technical
2: we've rallied uh, we've rallied or um, funding we've or? rallied about 34 cybersecurity companies we've put together a catalog of free products and services okay. that we provide products and services for the hospitals. hospitals without any charge and we want to do it in a way that there are no commercial strings attached and so that the cso or the person who's responsible for the it infrastructure of hospital can quickly get the the products and the services and the help that they need mm. to combat a ransomware attack, or to get ready and 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 to become a harder target for a ransomware attack to take place on a hospital.
1: See, this is this is the heart of yours coming out again that in, had me invite you today is that you're spending this volunteer time working on something so important that most people don't even know about.
2: Well, this, the the cybersecurity community is a wonderful, wonderful community. Uh, we've seen. Cybersecurity professionals from so many companies really put their hearts into this, put their time into this, and and the tribute should really go to all these cybersecurity professionals who've been working with us to build the cyber alliance and who've been sacrificing their time, dedicating their time, giving their time. Um, the cybersecurity community consists of people who who have this passion for mission, and who have this passion to protect the the vulnerable and the defenseless. And I think that's just what you're seeing coming to the fore in the in the Cyber Alliance for the protection of healthcare.
1: I love that you helped start the Cyber Alliance. If I could help you at all with my hospital relationships.
2: Adam, that'd be that'd be tremendous. We 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 all need to step forward and to help. We we during during COVID nineteen, whether it's this challenge or some of the other challenges that we face, we all have to step forward mm. to help rebuild our communities, rebuild our economies, rebuild our countries and um, uh, and and innovate our healthcare sector in a way that we are more resilient for the future. Your,
1: your value system is really coming out here in, in some of these examples of what you're working on. Last night I was spending time with uh, a couple who wanted me to mentor their son a little bit. I told you about Off Air. Uh, but he asked me a question that I've never asked in 50 episodes of this show that I think it's relevant to ask you. Your values are so evident in the way you talk and what you're focusing on right now. Max, this sharp young man, a high school junior, asked me, where do you think values come from? Is it the experiences around us? Because we all have different value systems. Everyone could say, oh, I believe in love and forgiveness, but we all have different value systems. So where do you think your value systems come from? Is it those parents of yours that loved you unconditionally like you already discussed? Or is it... Because you're reading about General Mattis and what he believes in, or, or uh, how that's does That's a great that,
2: question. That's a really great.
1: It qu- is a good question, and I can't take credit for it. It's a it's Max question. from Maryland. Well, who
2: Max, Max asked a great question <laughs> yeah, last night. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a great question. You know, I think values are so important because um, on most days values are are invisible. People don't really talk about values, and but values is like the. It's like the operating system running in the background. It determines our behaviors, determines our, our, our thinking, it determines our, our conduct in certain circumstances. And, and where we make mistakes, as we do, and, and I've made many mistakes in the course of my career, values lead you to correct, to focus on correcting your right. mistakes and how you can learn from your mistakes. But where does values come from? I think, I think it comes from, from the formative experiences you've had as a, as a child. I think our families imprint values on us. Faith, uh, faith. I think our communities imprint values on us. Our countries imprint values on us. Um, as a, as an as an adult, I think the people I've worked with have really impressed values on me. Hmm. And and having having had mentors like you mentoring Max has been terrific for me. Um, and just surrounding yourself when whenever you can with good people, mm-hmm. um, I think that continues to shape and develop your your values and then I think reading is very important and continuous learning and continuous education is very important.
1: What are you you reading right now? Is something captivating you right now?
2: Um, At at the moment I'm reading reading, uh, several books. I'm reading a book um, um, by um, by an author called Goddard on strategic deception which is one of the big challenges of our time. How do you preserve and protect truth?
1: Is that the title, Strategic Deception? Yeah,
2: the book is called Strategic Deception. This is um, this is uh, um, from a scholar based at Georgetown University. He's one of the great intelligence scholars uh, in the US, and <clears throat> he's written a lot about um, the world of intelligence. But one of the biggest challenges in the national security domain today, but also in day-to-day life, is, is how do we deal with strategic deception? Because the uh, communications infrastructure that's now so all pervasive because of the internet and social media have have created these fabrication factories um, these lie factories and how do we protect truth in the same way that we protect trust I think it's one of the great challenges that we have not only for national security but for the way in which we live for the way in which we do business for the way in which we relate to other people for the way in which we protect the cohesion of our countries and how we protect good relationships with our fellow citizens. Um, I think this is one of the great, great, great challenges.
1: Strategic deception, uh, hospital ransomware, corruption in Africa. Y- you do a lot of serious stuff. Well, what, what, do you, what do you like to do when you're not doing well, serious stuff? Doing you're smiling. Th- Teresa will be happy you're at smiling. At
2: the moment, I'm just doing one thing. I I'm, I'm focus on our, on, our, on our investments in our portfolio companies and, and building and creating value for my investors. Um, um, but I've had a very broad range of experiences, which has been, which has made me, um, has made, made me rich in experiences and, um, uh, and that's terrific to, 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 treasure and to reflect on. And it's given me it's some- To build work.
1: upon and that's cumulative, yeah, right?
2: Exactly. It's cumulative and it's given me some wonderful leadership role models, um, uh, to shape and influence my thinking.
1: What about when you're not working? Back to my question. How do you relax? What do you like to do to unwind? You, you do well, some intense st- stuff. New,
2: I'm newly married. Okay. I, I That's got, fun. The and I got married just before COVID started. Congratulations. We literally, we literally got married the weekend be just before COVID started. And I, I have such an amazing um, wife. Um, I'm enraptured with her and, and getting to know her and um, also learning how to be a good husband. So mm-hmm. I think that's one of the greatest missions in life and one of the greatest challenges. And so I'm, I'm learning to be a good husband.
1: When you figure that out, can you come back and report to all of us so we can get better at that?
2: I, 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 I can't guarantee that I'm going to be able to execute on we that We could do a whole now.
1: series on that, Andre. <laughs> well, what are you most excited about right now? What are you looking forward to in the future, work or otherwise? What what really has you excited
2: um i'm really excited about the potential of of innovation um i'm really excited about the innovation that's taking place in the national security community at the moment and i'm really excited about the very important role that the u.s have to play Mm -hmm. in the 21st century in uh, in dealing with these challenges
1: well i'm really excited about getting this terrific conversation out to our audience because you have shared so many good nuggets today that I think are beneficial for people of all ages. I mentioned this young friend of mine, Max, and I found that the ambitious students are the ones who really give me the most feedback about our program and you you've shared a lot here for those ambitious young people.
2: We have a we have a wealth of talent in the U.S. in, um, in young people um, both from this nation and from other countries that want to come to the U.S. to study and learn. Why do young people from all over the world want to come to the U.S. to study and learn? Well, hmm. It's because of the quality of the education system here, but also because of the nature of the country, the nature of society, and because America is a great democracy.
1: America is a great democracy, and you are an example of what makes America great, having imports from other countries choose to be here. So thank you, Andre, for choosing to be in America and for
0: choosing to come to the Upto studio today. Thank Thank you. you.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Adam. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Up to Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe via your podcast platform of choice. You can also email Adam directly at adam at uptofoundation.org to receive our newsletter, to suggest speakers, and give your candid feedback. We'd love to hear from you. The Up 2 Podcast is produced by the BL Media Group, right outside the nation's capital in Northern Virginia. We'll see you next time.